Welcome to the Kingdom Roots Podcast, the conversation designed to look at how the kingdom took root then and how it's taking root now. In today's episode, Scott and I continue our series, A Time to Politic, within which we have been discussing the politics of the New Testament from Jesus of Nazareth to John of Patmos. Scott, welcome back. Well, thanks, Cody. Good to be with you. Yes, it's yes. good to see you. You've uh, you've been away from us. You uh, you've been away yes. on vacation. Where have you been? Yes, Chris and I went to one of our favorite places in the world. It's an island in Greece called Naxos. It's in the Cyclades, uh, which is a circle of islands, it includes Santorini and Mykonos. Mm. Those are two very famous places, but south of Athens. It's just a, like a 30, 25-minute small airplane, bumpy, bumpy ride over to this small uh, airport. And I'm not kidding you, the the airport is uh, it's smaller than this room that I'm in right now. <laughs> it's, a, it's a little thing. And uh, I, I, I guess you could just say there can't be any security there. And uh, that's the way it is because nobody's there. And wow. it's a beautiful little island. It's not a big tourist place. Some tourists come, but for a day or so. Um, it's not one of these places where people come and stay for a month because it's so, it's not like Santorini or Mykonos. Mm. So we've been a couple of times and we just relax. We uh, sort of read, uh, have breakfast and read and have coffee and walk along we do walk along a beach uh, we've walked about twelve thousand steps a day then we have lunch wow. then we walk back to our hotel and relax and read and then we go have tea and then we have we read some more and then we go out for dinner <laughs> wow it's for, my dream for life you're two, living 10 days uh Sounds is beautiful. that we did i did i did during that time though i i normally i mean uh i've reread my manuscript for second Corinthians on the, in the everyday Bible series. So I edited it in the mornings, um, uh, before we had breakfast. And from that mm-hmm. point on, all I did was just read stuff that I wanted to read. Desultory reading. Anything good. What, yeah. You read anything good? In, oh yeah. Yeah. I don't read it. If I don't think it's good, I don't read things <laughs> just to read things. So I read a couple books on Jesus and, um, I read an amazing author from the island of Skiathos, a Greek island. His name is, um, let's see, Alexandros Papadiamente. And he writes in an old Greek style. But this is this is a friend of mine it, here in Libertyville told me, this is the guy you got to read. So I get a collection of his short story, um, published in the United States at Johns Hopkins Press, and I... I read them, but in a bookstore in on the island of Naxos, I found a collection of his short stories in Greek, my, you know, his Greek, oh, wow. which is turn of the century, turn of the twentieth century, Greek kind of, and and everybody says it's a it's a hard Greek to read for modern Greeks, and a um, couple of the there's three stories in my collection that are in that one in modern Greek, so. Oh, okay. So I'm going to be reading those. So, excellent. Uh, so that was that was really a lot of fun, and uh, of course, 
Chris read read some good books, and we just relaxed, you know. Oh, wonderful. It was beautiful. And now that you're back, beautiful. what are you working on for projects right now, Scott? Um, I'm writing, I'm doing research on Jesus and the Pharisees. I want to put together the Pharisees in a way that makes sense, that is sort of first century-ish, that doesn't turn them into stereotypes, but uh, puts them in their social cultural power context. Uh, but at the same time, I think to understand the Pharisees, you have to have kind of a big picture of what Jesus is actually doing. So I'm I'm working away one little topic at a time, and it's starting to come together pretty well. So we'll see what's happening. Excellent. I love it. Well, it's great to be back. We are several episodes in now to our series on the politics yeah. of the New Testament. We've had a couple on Paul, most recently Romans 13, and now we're going to jump into a few sections of the prison letters today, first in Philippians. And so I'll okay, read but, then, Philippians. But, we, but our listeners want to know what you're doing. What I'm doing? Oh, I don't think yeah. they do. What yeah. am I doing? I am. I just finished a draft of the first chapter of my uh, dissertation, which I sent away to Michael F. Bird, and so I'm waiting for some feedback on that. And I'm preparing to start teaching a Romans class this week to probably a couple of hundred adults uh, from my church, and so it's going to be a good time. Okay, Romans, get ready for questions about imputed righteousness and justification and... It's, it's an interesting discussion. Good for you. Yeah, I would, okay. I would say before we come to the politics, the most interesting feature so far uh, has been uh, Paul's uh, language of life in Romans, and uh, not surprising, being made alive. And yeah. that has been yeah. really interesting for me to reflect on and ponder on long, wa- long walks, because it seems as though that seems to be the end thing for Paul, is this being made alive in Christ together, which is beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, that's Romans 5 through 8, the death. I mean, I, I remember one time talking to a, a professor of mine in seminary, and I said, I think Paul is a thanatologist. He's, he's into, into dissecting death. He and, really is. Uh, he, but he, but the, uh, the flip side, of course, is to the resurrection, there's life. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, of Good. course. Good topic. Okay, well, uh, Philippians 1. I'll start reading at yeah. verse 27, Philippians chapter 1, verse 27. Only, a reading from the Second Testament. Today's episode is sponsored by the Second Testament. Uh, Philippians <laughs> chapter 1, it's my wife's favorite joke. She listens to the podcast just to hear me say that. Philippians chapter 1, verse 27. <laughs> Only live your community life deservingly of the Christos gospel. So whether coming and seeing you or being away, I hear matters about you that you stand in one spirit, co-training with oneself, in the gospel allegiance, not being terrified in any way by the opposers, which is destruction's exhibition for them, but deliverance for you. And this is from God, because the suffering for Christos has been grace to you, not only to be allegiant to him, but also to suffer for him, having the same contest that you saw in me, and now you hear in me. And so we begin here then in this political discussion, coming back to language of politics in the New Testament, Scott. Here, 127, uh, some translations are going to translate here. Uh, uh, you have uh, live your community life or your citizenship. Uh, live your citizenship. Uh, live, conduct yourself in a way that's worthy of the gospel. Uh, Paul here uses uh, uh, paletuomai, uh, 
which connects to another word later in 320, where he's talking about our citizenship sort of coming forth from the heavens. And so do you want to talk us through this a little bit? What 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 is this language evoke what's paul trying to do here as he speaks to the philippians yeah it is is a very interesting expression and um as we look at the uh, time to politic uh one of the things that i just want to keep our our minds on is the fact that the new testament is working the early christians let's say we're working this out uh, day by day place by place theme by theme Without, uh, let's say, there's nothing coherent about their strategy of life in the empire comparable mm. to, to have to forgive me for this, Romans, or comparable to uh, the ethic of Jesus collected in the Sermon on the Mount. There's nothing, there's nothing quite like this. So we get bits and bobs. Is that a Canadian expression, bits and bobs? I know it's British. <laughs> You hear bits it's and not bobs, Canadian, but I like it. I've never heard bits Canadian. and bobs, but I like it. That is good. <laughs> oh, well, what do they say in Canada? Well, at any rate, before we get to Philippians one twenty-seven, listen to this passage in Acts 23, yeah. where the same word appears. Paulus, yeah. gazing at the central council, said, Siblings, I've lived my community life. That's the same word. Yep. Before God with an all-good consciousness up to this day. So mm-hmm. he thought he was a pretty dang good citizen. Right. This, this is a, you know, Jews like Paul, the book, the book of Psalms, were not afraid to say, I've been obedient. They, they didn't have, they never got soaked by Augustine uh, to think that everything <laughs> they did was, was, was bad, uh, even when it was good. The senior high priest, Hananias, ordered the one standing next to Paul to pound his mouth. That's pretty strong language. Then Paul said to him, God is about to pound you, you plaster wall. <laughs> you sit judging me consistent with the covenant code and acting outside the code. Order me to be pounded? The one standing alongside. You, you could just hear him. This is a whisper, you know. Are you snubbing God's senior priest? Paulus said, I didn't know, siblings, that he's the senior priest, for it's written that you will not speak bad about your people's leader. So he backs off of what he says. But, uh, I mean, it's an interesting point, isn't it, is that he feels like he has lived as a really good Jew, um, observant his whole life. He's he's lived a good life um, in their in their perspective, and that would include smarting off to the high priest uh, that he didn't realize was the high priest. He did not mind rebuking this person for what he was doing because he knew the situation with his own life was such a mess. So so when Paul is in Philippians, you know, he hasn't written this letter, Philippians. He's had this, if, if uh, Acts 23 is reasonably accurate, that's his experience prior to getting to Rome, where he will write this letter of Philippians. And by the time he gets there, uh, you know, everything in Rome is all about Rome. And he gets a little bit more captured by the sense of uh, a political life in that sense. And when he's there, um, he has captured the term and turned it into sort of a Christianization 
of hmm. the political life. Not uh, in a way that makes him a bad Roman citizen or a bad Jewish citizen, hmm. but instead as a person who lives uh, in a sense, in a transcendent way in that same situation. So live your community life, your political life, deservingly of the Christos gospel. So, uh, so I hear matters about you, that you stand in one spirit. Now, that's what it means to live this kind of community life, standing mm-hmm. in one spirit, co-training with oneself in the gospel allegiance, not being terrified in any way by the opposers. And uh, Paul, Paul had this everywhere he went, which is destruction's exhibition for them, but deliverance for you. And this is from God, because the suffering for Christos has been grace to you, not only to be allegiant to him, but to suffer for him, having the same contest, interesting expression, that you saw in me and now you hear in me. So Paul believes that they are to live a citizen kind of life. And in 320, he says, our our political community life exists in the heavens from which we also impatiently wait to deliver Lord Jesus Christos, who will reshape our impoverished body to be co-morphed to his splendorous body, consistent with the energy that empowers him also to order all things under him. That's, that's how Paul writes. You kind of wonder sometimes what he's saying. But my, my belief is that Paul, Paul, Paul believes, because of Acts 23.1, Paul does not believe in a separation life. He doesn't believe mm-hmm. that they ought to withdraw like Qumran right. or like Therapeutai in Egypt. He believes they ought to be engaged in the public life, but they have a very specific kind of life that they're training in with one another that is transcendent compared to the Roman citizenship life or the Greek citizenship life. Philippi is a Roman colony in, the, in, the, in northern Greece, it's actually a beautiful place. It, well, it's, mm-hmm. it's near a beautiful place, Neapolis. Um, it's, I, it's breathtaking what it looks like when you see the, the shore of Neapolis, where Paul would have landed. But it, to me, the, um, Paul is saying that, that we have, that I have lived as a good citizen in the Jewish world. I didn't get in trouble in Jerusalem because I did something wrong. I wasn't stirring up a mob into rebellion, which is a constant concern of the Roman authorities and Jewish authorities. I didn't do any of that stuff. I'm just a really good Jewish observant Pharisee type Christian. And and we have a life that transcends this kind of life, and it would put us outside the box of those who would leave a, a, lead a rebellious life. So I think Paul uh, is, in this sense, um, believes that believers in Jesus should be, this is the way I'd summarize it, good citizens, but their allegiance is to a different order, and it makes them better citizens, not worse citizens, because their citizenship is with the Lord Jesus who is in heaven. So their King Jesus is their orientation point. Okay. Hmm. 
what do you think of that? Yeah, I think that that makes a lot of sense. I I'm wondering too, because I think you're you've alluded to this. Uh, this idea probably would have made sense to these can, these people in Philippi, if they live in Philippi or if, if Philippi is a colony of Rome, uh, that there there is this sense in which being a colony of somewhere else uh, would have played well to them. Is that a fair statement to say? Like we live here. Yeah but we have a citizenship that is not derived specifically from here. Is he playing on something cultural for them here? I, I would say probably, but here, here's the thing. Um, background information can get goofy, you know? Yes. But did, did the ordinary Philippian wake up in the morning and say, we're a Roman colony, you know, I think that some of them probably did because of the way sure. the central city, you know, I've, uh, you can see the forum today of, of Philippi. It's, it's not a very, it's not like Ephesus, but it's, it's okay, but you get to see it and it's cool. You can see the Ignatian way. You can see, you can walk on the Ignatian way right through Philippi, but, uh, and they've got a beautiful place for Lydia, but it probably, probably is not authentic, but still it's pretty cool. Hmm. Um, but the, uh, I, I think some probably because they recognize the Roman part of it, but I, I wouldn't overdo it, but yes, I do sure. think the evocation that we have a way of knowing that we're a co- an outpost of Rome here in Philippi, uh, and believers are an outpost of the heavenly citizenship in Philippi as well. So Paul is uh, exhorting the believers uh, to prioritize their allegiance, their sort of true civic identity, um, the the unity uh, to come together under the banner of Jesus, to live as citizens of heaven here now. But that doesn't abdicate them from civic responsibility in Philippi or being good citizens. Is that what I hear you saying? Their citizenship is derived from somewhere else. Right. But that's what, you know, when Paul can use the language, this same term in Acts 23.1 for his life in the Jewish world, I think it would, you would have to say Paul believed that he was a good citizen. He he did not shirk his responsibility in, let's just say, in the public realm. It doesn't, it doesn't look like he spent a whole lot of time doing anything. He wasn't running for office and getting into political debates about who should be the next president. Um, He didn't seem to be doing that sort of thing, but he clearly believed. I mean, that's a pretty strong statement in Acts 23 that he he says, I lived, I I have a really good conscience about how I lived publicly. So I was obedient. Yeah, this uh, this last week for me, I was uh, teaching at a pastor's retreat. And we were just asking the question, uh, trying to unearth together what a pastor does. What is a pastor? <laughs> and uh, part of what we came out with in our definition, and I'm coming back to something you said at the beginning here, was that to be a pastor is to be in a particular context at a, peer, a particular moment in time. Like those two things really matter, the context that you're in and the time that it is. So I'm going to ask you this question knowing that it might be different for our listeners are different for people who are trying to figure out what it means to live as a citizen of heaven because they have a particular context and live at a particular time. But what might Paul mean, both in his own context, but also maybe for us today, what does it look like to live as citizens of heaven? I think that that feels really abstract to people. Paul can get really 
uh, highfalutin with some of his language sometimes. On the ground, what does it look like then to live as to live as a good citizen here, but but be a citizen of somewhere else? What what might Paul say to us on that question? Yeah, I think that we would have uh, in different contexts. Uh, he would say different things, but yeah, let's just say that in our in the United States. I know you have a blessed, peaceful country without political <laughs> Not, not lately. <laughs> um, Paul would say, I want you, he would say to our churches, I want you to participate in the political conversation that is so intense right now and never seems to stop in a way that remains a witness to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. So I don't think he'd say, don't vote. I think he'd say, if you don't want to vote, you don't need to vote. I don't think he would say, voting is the ultimate act that you have. He doesn't, he, he wouldn't say that who the next president is, um, is the most important thing in life. He wouldn't say those things. But he would say that we as believers need to conduct ourselves in a way that in the political process, in a way that demonstrates the lordship of Jesus. So we don't lose it. We don't lose hope. We don't lose heart. We don't go into swirls of depression because our candidate lost. Um, We don't think the world is going to fall apart if our candidate doesn't win. Those are the sorts of things I think Paul would say. And, you know, I'm a broken record on this. I've said this, these things for quite a while, but I still think it's so true uh, that um, to me, it goes back to, well, it goes back to Joe Biden fighting Clarence Thomas in a Supreme Court discussion a long time ago. But, but things got so politicized under Reagan and then under Clinton, the evangelicals came out of the woodwork against Clinton because he was a Democrat. And since then, evangelical Christians have, be, have, by and large, been so tied to one political party that they have lost their witness in the mm. United States. And I think Paul would say that's, that's, not, that's not going to witness to the lordship of Jesus. That witnesses to the lordship of Washington, D.C. And Paul mm. would say that is idolatry. Yeah. And that's where... I think he would he would say, be a good citizen, but your citizenship ultimately is in heaven. Yeah. Yeah. And, and with that citizenship, then to live, uh, as Paul says, worthily of the gospel, which is clearly an alternative to the, the do, sort of dominant way of life of the Roman colony of Philippi. Uh, that's really helpful. So conduct yourselves as those who have uh, are part of an alternative commonwealth who carry a different citizenship. That's really helpful. Um, So, I mean, like I'm reading, I'm reading about done with Andrew Whitehead's book, American Idolatry about Christian nationalism. See, that's Mm -hmm. an extreme version of the thing that I think Paul would say, no, this is, this is not the way we conduct ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. uh, Both in Philippians, but we'll jump over to Paul's letter to the Colossians for a second, but there, Paul has what some have called a, a hymn or an ode. Uh, a poem, maybe uh, early Christian material in Philippians chapter two. And then again, in Colossians chapter one, starting at verse 15, we read these words. Uh, Paul writes, uh, who is the 
invisible God's image, all creation's firstborn, because in him all things were created in the heavens and in the land, the visibles and the invisibles, whether thrones or lordships, whether leaders or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things coexist. He is the head of the body, the assembly, who is beginning, firstborn from among the dead ones, so he might in all things become the preeminenting one, because in him all the fullness was delighted to reside, and through him to reconcile all things to him, making peace through his cross's blood, through him, whether things on the land or things in the heaven. So we have this sort of cosmic piece of something that that Paul has put in his letter to the Colossians. We have a, a similar style of sort of poem in Philippians chapter 2. Um, what, what about something like this, a piece of material? What about this is political for Paul? Or, or what kind of implications is he trying to draw uh, as he writes words like this to this community in Colossae? Well, notice in verse 13, I call this a, doc, a, a digression on reconciliation in Christos, who rescued us from the darkness's authority and removed us into his loved son's empire. Yeah. There you go, into the kingdom. And Paul does not use Vasileia very much, he in whom not. we have liberation, release from the sins. So then all of a sudden Paul goes into this hymn, and this hymn has two parts which is pretty standard interpretation, um, is one is about creation and one is about the church. Mm-hmm. And, in, and and Jesus is the Lord over creation, and mm-hmm. he is the Lord over the church. So this, this gives perspective for the believer in the Roman Empire. It gives perspective for the believer today to realize that Jesus is the Lord over all creation, and he is the Lord over the church, not just the church, but over all creation. Um, and he, you know, don't don't tell the whole world this, but especially don't tell my students. And if they're listening, they'll have to forgive me. This this can be Kuiperian, is that, mm-hmm. you know, is that he wants all of this to be in submission mm-hmm. to Jesus. Uh, now, I think we have to be careful how we do this in the political process. But Christians need to have the perspective that Jesus is the creator, that he is the Lord over all creation. Everything was created by him and through him. And I think one of the most amazing statements is that um, is that everything is for him. It's, yeah. it's all shaped to go in his direction, to the Christos, all right? so as the Lord. But he's also the head of the body. And through his death and resurrection, and the emphasis here is the cross, the cross is blood, um, is to reconcile all things. So let's just say that one of the major tasks of those for whom Jesus is the Lord, if the Lord is the ultimate reconciliation agent in the world, believers should care deeply about reconciliation yeah making peace that's the term he uses making peace through the Mm -hmm. cross now 
it's not going to work for us to think we can run for the office and say, I'm going to have a Christian approach. We're going to do everything through the gospel. We're going to do everything through the cross and resurrection. That's nice. But um, at the political process in the Western world, which believes in toleration and we don't have a state church, we have to be more respectful of other people's viewpoints. But right. we can pursue reconciliation so far as it is is available to people and and uh, we can work at that so i believe that that paul wants believers to see that jesus is the lord of both creation and the church again mm-hmm. not just the church but the creation as well and that the ultimate aim is for all things to be summarized in christ to move to him through the cross all possibility for making peace in the world is available so yeah. it's a pretty big vision. It's really helpful. It's, it's, it's a massive vision. vision. I mean, he's the first, he's the head, he's the beginning, he has supremacy. And Paul uses all language here so many times. I think Nijay uh, Gupta, I think in his commentary, says that Paul here has a, a sort of allness Christology or something like that. That it's oh, just this is sort yeah, of all, well, all, in, all encompassing, you know? Yeah. Um, I read Nijay's commentary, but that was when I was writing the commentary on Colossians myself. So, yes, there is an allness about it. There, There is an all. I mean, it's everything. He, you know, because in him, all the fullness was delighted through him to reconcile mm-hmm. all things to him, you know, making peace through him, whether things on the land or things in the heavens. And I like that other stuff, you know, in the heavens and on the land, the visibles and the invisibles thrones and lordships leaders and authorities all things were created through him and for him he's before all things and in him all things i mean it's you can't get any stronger than that yeah paul is uh erupting with this kind of cosmic praise type thing as he often does but let me ask you a question then coming back to uh he's the the head of creation and the church he's over creation he's over the church um and you know this kind of quasi kyperian thing i wonder if there is um, a sort of corrective there too, maybe on a more practical level, that we've been moved from seemingly one kingdom, one of darkness, into the kingdom of light. So is is this, again, we reconcile with all creation, all things, but is this the the kingdom that's growing sort of underneath the nose of competing kingdoms in this world? Like, what's Paul's vision here? It's not that we go take over darkness's kingdom, because we're actually in a new one altogether. It seems that for Paul, this is something that's growing outward that is taking over in a sense, but not through any kind of force, but maybe through reconciliation through the cross, like you said. How does that land for you? Well, taking over is a little... Yeah. Um, it's strong. I, don't, I, don't, I think Paul would say that's above my pay grade uh, because of, of how small the church was in this, in, in this of course. time. He, he's, not, he's not thinking that he's going to go to Rome and all of Rome is going to become submissive to Jesus. He, right. he doesn't think quite like, he knows that's the ultimate aim. Yeah, that's so, what I mean by it. I, yeah, of yeah. course. Apocalyptically, he's, he's sort of end. Yeah. Yeah. He sees that coming. And in the present life, uh, he knows that they've been transferred. And, and I really like your expression. Yes. Under the nose of the emperor. Yes. Yeah. Nero. Yes. And um, there is a, They've, they're not trying to manage the darkness king, the kingdom of darkness. Mm-hmm. That's they're right. not trying to improve it in that sense. Nope. 
because they've been moved to a different kingdom and they're supposed to live this new kingdom life and draw people into it. But I believe that when they learn how to live within the kingdom of light, he doesn't quite say that, does he? They've been removed from darkness. Does he? He doesn't have light there. But bring it out, out of darkness into this other kingdom. And in this other kingdom, they learn how to live a proper way before God. And it impacts them when they enter back into the darkness of the kingdom. Yeah. They yeah, bring good. the light of the kingdom there. Yeah. It's beautiful. Uh, before we turn to one sort of last uh, idea here, uh, Paul's letter uh, to Philemon, I just want our listeners to know that I, a couple of summers ago, got to take a trip to Turkey and Greece uh, with Scott. And Scott is one of the few people who insist on going to Colossae. So I got to see Colossae in all its glory, which I remember getting home and I was showing my wife all the pictures of this trip. And I said, are you ready to see Colossae? And she said, that's just a dirt mound. And I said, yep. And Scott insisted that we go. Hey, it's a beautiful I think place. Becky and Tom, I think Becky and Tom went there this time too. I think they did. I think your influence is just, it's reaching out to all the others. The thing about it is it's a really good illustration of what archaeology is actually going to do. Of course. Because they're going to, they're going to uncover this thing. And I think they're going to start before, you know, I think it could, a lot of it could happen in my lifetime if I live a little bit longer. And um, um, it's a good illustration of seeing that, but also they get to see where it is Mm -hmm. and, uh, and they get to put their hands or feet in the water of the Lycus river which is where there would have been baptisms in the first. And so, you know, there's a little bit That's of true. tech time. I'm glad we went there. I just thought people would like to know, since we're reading the text from Colossians, that we were there together and I got <laughs> to see that it's just a dirt mound. Hey, let's turn in the last few minutes, maybe um, uh, an example of the implications, if you will, of the kingdom gospel or a test case for the gospel and the mission that Paul is on and the way that this alternative citizenship impacts a very real, not that the others don't impact a real life situation, but Philemon is such a particular instance. And so I know you've written extensively on Philemon, um, maybe as a bit of a test case to think through politics and political language in the kingdom. Talk to us about Philemon. Okay. I think Philemon is a slave. And I think that um, he left his owner, Onesimus, his master, And I think he probably ran away because of injustices that he was experiencing. Uh, I know that there are different uh, uh, arguments about this. Some people think that uh, he was sent by the Apostle Paul to to somewhere else. Um, All right, to Paul. I mean, no, he was sent by Onesimus to the Apostle Paul. I know that there are are differences on this. Um, I stand with the traditional interpretation it makes and i've told Nijay because he's written a little bit on the history of interpretation of this thing he's written on everything um i told him i said all the interpretations of the slave um onesimus did i say onesimus for the master philemon is the master okay all the interpretations can make sense of the whole letter so uh, I'm, I don't get into, I, I'm, I'm not going to get into an argument about, about it, but, but I do think the, the main picture remains clear. He's a slave. 
he is with Paul. Onesimus is with Paul. He thinks he's probably been treated unjustly. But what is amazing to me is that Paul does not follow the Jewish law, uh, which is you can't send a slave back to its owner who escapes or who leaves. And Paul sends him back and has has given Philemon total command, as it were, mm. to do what he wants to do. But Paul wants him to do what Paul thinks he ought to do as a Christian. Yeah. And this is what's mm. interesting in the letter is it just kind of goes back and forth. I want you to do what you want to do, but I want you to do what I want you to do, because what I want you to do is the gospel thing to do. Mm-hmm. So here, here is an amazing moment in the early church. When a slave becomes a believer, what happens in the church? What happens in the household church when a slave becomes a believer? They become siblings in Christ. They're no longer simply a slave. And this is what Paul wants Philemon to embrace. So he sends Onesimus back to Philemon and basically says he's no longer he's no longer a slave he's now a brother now it's very clear because there's another letter at written at the same time that we just were talking about colossians mm-hmm. where paul is not eradicating slavery in the first century once again this is outside paul's perception of reality i believe um so I don't mind saying this about Paul. He was blind to the immorality of slavery. He didn't see it. Uh, you know, I have friends and colleagues who think capitalism is the same thing, that that, uh, that uh, capitalism is a sin and people are blind to its sinfulness. Um, and maybe that's the sin of our era. But Paul, Paul wants Philemon to accept him back mm-hmm. as a sibling. And to me, he sort of opens the door, uh, pushes Onesimus into the middle of the household of Philemon and says, now let's figure this out on what happens when a slave becomes a brother. How do we live with one another now? And this is Mm -hmm. the beginning of an experiment in equality. Um, I don't think Paul got there. In fact, I'm certain he didn't get there, even though some people think he did. I don't believe it. It, uh, Colossians 4 does not permit that interpretation. He still Mm -hmm. believes in slavery, or he still uh, allows the institution of slavery in first century Rome. And slavery in the first century could be better than New World slavery. It could be worse than New World slavery, if there is such a thing. But what the point is, is that these are bodies owned by another person. And Onesimus is owned. And Paul wants something to happen among believers that transforms a slave into a sibling. And that's the beginning of the eradication of slavery that took 19 centuries. Yeah. Yeah, so again, uh, coming back to some of the similar points, maybe about citizenship, about the impact of the gospel, the ways in which... Um, when the seed of the gospel is planted, it, it begins to grow, and it, it changes the dynamics of our relationships, uh, both within the church and bleeding outside of the church. 
uh, in such a way that these institutions that exist around us, these things that may seem normal, uh, that, that there's still a way in which we engage with them to yeah. see, see transformation in and through them. Is that fair to say? Like, Paul is still leaning into this notion that uh, the gospel should have an impact upon this relationship in a specific kind of way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I think you're totally right. He's a good citizen, but his citizenship is in heaven. So he's a better citizen than a regular citizen. That's what he thinks. And that's what happens with Philemon in Onesimus, is that he wants them to be, let's say, Roman citizens, if they are. I mean, Philemon, uh, Onesimus is not. But mm -mm. he wants them to become the kind of people that transcend the way of Rome because they're following the way of the cross and the way of Christ. That's really helpful. Yeah, so from Paul's citizenship language in Philippians 127 and 320 and uh, this, this hymnic material where Christ is over creation and the church and here now the ways in which on a, on a very micro test case the gospel is planted to transform relationships. Yeah. Well, thanks so much, Scott. Anything you want to say last words uh, before we sign off for today? Well, I think you're putting these two, three texts together was a really an interesting experiment uh, because I do think mm -hmm. that uh, Colossians 1, Philippians 2, Philippians 1, Philippians 3, and uh, Philemon fit together in a way that all witness to the same experiment of early believers trying to figure out how to live in the Roman Empire as citizens or at least keeping their head out of trouble and as followers of Jesus. So it's a challenge in each circumstance to work it out. And I think we get to watch Paul work it out. That's great. Well, uh, we have been uh, in the midst of our series, A Time to Politic, where we're examining the politics of the New Testament from Jesus of Nazareth to John of Patmos. Uh, join us next time as we look at Paul's letters to his delegates, Timothy and Titus. 